joining us on at home. I also want to welcome you here today as we conclude our um, series on just lost everyone. As we conclude our series on uh, the Holy Spirit, as we've been looking at over the last three weeks. Now we're going to do something today that was never done with me when I was growing up. Um, I didn't grow up in a church that said, hey, let's talk about the Holy Spirit, and let's talk about the gifts that he gives and how you know that the Holy Spirit is working. No one's ever said that to me. No one, I didn't grow up that way. This is where the, my church is where the original Encanto phrase, uh, we don't talk about the Spirit, no, 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 came from, okay? That was the church that I grew up in. Um, and what I learned in that church is that what you do with church is you simply go to a church that you're comfortable with. Uh, other churches are way over here with the Holy Spirit. Those churches are way over there with the Holy Spirit. And we don't discuss why. And we don't discuss what's going on. I grew up in a church that pointed out why everyone else was wrong with the use of the Holy Spirit. But we never talked about what was right with the Holy Spirit. Um, later on in life, I kind of did a flip. And I went to a church where everything was right with the Holy Spirit. Nothing was wrong. And sometimes it felt a little bit wrong. So today we're going to try and bring some balance to that. No one sat down with me and says, this is how the Holy Spirit works. This is how the Holy Spirit leads your life. Uh, remember from last week, the Spirit is a who, not an it. So what we looked at last week. And that who is God. And God is a God of love and a God of order. And when we see Jesus' life, Jesus becoming, you know, God become human through Jesus, he was definitely a God of love and a God of order. And, and then shouldn't it seem that God's spirit then should be the same? A spirit of order and not crazy kind of chaos. So maybe, just maybe, understanding the spirit is a whole lot more clearer than we might think. And maybe we just need to walk carefully through a few passages on this to work this out. So how did the Spirit move? How did the move of the Spirit happen? We're going to pick up at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed... Sorry... They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now here's the context of this. The disciples were waiting. They were waiting. They were waiting on the Spirit. They weren't searching after the Spirit. See, we live in a day today where a lot of Christianity seems to be about running after the Spirit. It's like tornado chasing. Uh, the Spirit touched down over there. Have you gone over there? Oh, the Spirit touched down on the other side of town. Have you run over there? And, and we got to pack up the ute and throw in the camera and get over there as fast as we can. Something about Christianity has become synonymous with tornado chasing. Trucks loaded, armed with your Bible and your camera and, your, and, and some prayers, and you go wait on the Spirit to touch down over there somewhere. And if you get there in time, maybe you can get in on the action a little bit. While others of us treat the Spirit just like tornado chasing, and when you hear the tornadoes touching over there, you hop in your car and you drive the other direction. And you're going to get as far away from that as possible. Something crazy is happening over there. It's a whirlwind. Might be from God, maybe it's not, but I think we can all just get a little bit overly caught up in it. This violent rushing wind. We're not always sure what to do with that. 
See, the disciples weren't searching for that. They weren't searching after the Spirit. They weren't running after what they heard might be the Spirit. They were waiting. Remember, Jesus said wait. They were waiting in the upper room. See, the Spirit knows who you are, and the Spirit knows where you are. Spirit does a pretty good job in finding you. Kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, the Spirit will do this as the Spirit enabled them, the passage said. So how do they wait? And that's the key here. How did they wait? See, they waited in the promises of Jesus. Acts 1.8, remember from a couple weeks ago? Jesus walked with them for 40 days after he had died. He rose again, walked with them for 40 days. He appeared to over 500 people after he rose from the dead. And then he said, wait. Wait in Jerusalem, and, and the Holy Spirit will come to you. Then you will have power to live the way. Live this Christian life. Then you will have an impact on all those around you and the surrounding countries of Israel and even the scarier places farther out. But don't do it alone. Just wait. See, these disciples were handpicked. They were trained by Jesus, and they were waiting on what Jesus promised. See, here's the key. We don't have to chase after promises of God. If God has given us a promise, and the Bible is full of promises, all you got to do is wait on the promise. It's not like God has lost you. Boy, I don't know. Jesus, come here. They used to live in New Zealand, and then the borders opened. I know they did some traveling. I've sent a few letters, and they've been returned to sender. I'm not really sure where they've gone. Have you seen them? They don't have those conversations in heaven. All right? They know exactly where you are. God knows where you're at. So we wait. We wait on the promises. But that word wait, does it mean we just sit around? Does it mean we just kind of sit around and wait? Not exactly. See, they waited in their faith in their faith in Jesus. That's not the same thing. They waited in prayer. They waited in scripture. They waited in worshiping and gathering together. They weren't disobedient. They weren't just doing their own thing. They just weren't like, well, look, you said God knows where to find me, so when he wants me, I'm over here. Otherwise, I'll just do my own thing. It's not like that. They remained in him. Remember how many times Jesus said it? Remain, 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 remain. 11 times. They remained in him daily, in faith, in prayer, in meeting together, in scripture, waiting in Jesus, waiting in the promises of Jesus. See, here's the thing about God. A life with God is not rational. It's not rational. It, it's about what you're going to do and, and where you're going to work and what uni you're going to go to. See, God's life for you is not like do A, B, and C. But if you miss out on C, well, forget D, E, and F are gone. You've messed up. You don't have another chance like that. That's not how it works. God, a life with God is not rational. It's relational. Relational. It's where we are in Christ, not where we are in life, not where you are in your situation at the time. It's about your life in Jesus. He doesn't have one job for you to do. And if you pick the wrong one, your whole life is just off the wrong path, and sorry, wait till heaven, it gets better. It's not like that. God's will for you is relational. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? So they're waiting in Christ, in Christ. And they're waiting in their weakness, not in their strength. You have to kind of empty yourself out to then be filled by the Spirit. See, the Bible talks about what they were doing. They were waiting, but it doesn't talk, it also highlights 
Look, think that they weren't, think, think of the things that they were not doing. See, they weren't starting Bible studies. They weren't going on, I saw him alive speaking to us all through Jerusalem. They weren't preaching in the streets. They weren't answering questions and doing rallies. The most highly trained spiritual leaders the world has ever seen, they spent three years with Jesus as their personal tutor every day. No breaks, no summers off, no Christmas holidays, no Easter holidays, because Jesus was still working on those. Three years of listening to Jesus, seeing all those miracles, hand-picked, personally trained by Jesus, and for 10 days, they did nothing. They did nothing with it. See, the thing about following Jesus is you're not supposed to stay busy. It's not about doing stuff. It's not about staying busy for God. Because when you stay busy and do stuff, we tend to do it on our own power. We tend to do it based on our own skill sets and our own strengths and and the influence and try to influence others by the way we do things best. God doesn't need our best. When we do our best, we tend to fail. See, God loves us. He wants us. He doesn't need us. He's chosen us. He wants to work with us and in us and through us and around us. So he says, wait. Wait in the promise. Wait in faith. Allow the Spirit to enable what God wants to do in you and through you and around you. And that's what happens today. See, I'm not supposed to wait around for some tornado to to. to to touch down. I'm not supposed to wait for tongues of fire to fall on us again so we know we're doing the right thing. That was a special event. That was a, spe- a specific game-changing moment at Pentecost, and God kind of marked this big X and says, I am here. See, what separates Christianity from all the other religions of the world is that it's not about what you do. It's not about how you live out your faith. It's not about following a bunch of religious laws of do's and don'ts. Christianity means Christ in us. A life with Jesus is about remaining in him. And this is how it happens today. How do you walk with Jesus today so that he does the work? This is how it works. He does it through us. Every single Christian has been given the Holy Spirit and gifts. Every single Christian. Every single Christian who loves God, who accepts God, who allows God to be their Savior and the leader of their life is given certain gifts. And what God does, he kind of paints this mosaic of his kingdom. Zone out and and zoom out and you see the kingdom of God. Zoom in and you see a little face and a little face and a little face. And it's us. And he paints this picture of the kingdom with us, all doing the things he's asked us to do, all being the people he's asked us to be, using the gifts that he has enabled us to do these things with. And the way we know it works is that the Spirit will never work against the Bible he wrote. Ever. Will never work against the Bible he wrote. We think of the Holy Spirit as a force. Thank you, Star Wars. And, and it's this force of God that's out there, right? It's an it, and we gotta plug into the it. It's this ominous force that some of us, but just some, just some who have figured out how to pray properly, some who have learned to trust fully, just some of us are able to tap into it. And it's the wildness of God, and it's the tornado of God, and you can choose to tap into it, or you can ch- choose to move away from it. See, we treat the Holy Spirit like art, 
like the way we do art. It's really difficult to know what to call art or not call something art today. Really offensive. I mean, hey, look at my artwork. Yeah, looks, looks great. What is it? See, it's art, right? See, it's not that I'm down on art, but you know, most of the art I look at are my daughters, my little three-year-old daughter's art. And she goes, look, Daddy, I draw a rainbow. Thank you, sweetie, it looks amazing. Red squiggle lines, rainbow, I don't know, it's, you know. I'm a good dad, so I lied to her. It looks amazing. <laughs> See, kids' art doesn't start off recognizable, right? It doesn't start, it's called, it's called art at preschool, but therefore, since they called it art, I guess it's art. It's like, it's like this artwork. What is that? I, I think it's a dog. I think, I think it's a dog, I don't know, but animals are hard, right? I mean, look at this animal. That's a cow right? That's a cow. That's a cow with some dots on it, but it's not a kid's drawing. This is from an, an a, a artist from Barcelona named Juan Miró. I practiced that all week. Juan Miró. That's close enough. And he's from Barcelona. It's a cow with dots artwork. It auctioned for 2.2 million U.S. dollars. I think I'm an artist. I think I figured out how to fix this financially. I can do this, right? I mean, or like this one here. This one fits a little bit more and more in simplistic stuff. Um, this is called Yellow and Blue. Good title. <laughs> Good title. I wish I came up with this first. It was painted in 1954. It was sold at the uh, Southby's auction in New York. 46.5 million U.S. dollars. That's art. That's art. But if you're not into the whole mixed color thing, maybe just like two colors the same. Here you go. That's a piece of art. These are two blue boxes. Looks like a table tennis table, doesn't it? $43.8 million this thing went for. If we can just get a table tennis, if someone could donate a table tennis table to us, we'll sell it and everything's taken care of for all of us, right? So the next one actually looks like art. This was bought for $19,000 30 years ago, then auctioned it off again just recently for $110.5 million. It's a skull with tic-tac-toe on it. All right, knots and crosses on a skull. It looks like art to me, but it's like spray paint on the fence, and I get mad, and I go cover it up. Um, I haven't even mentioned modern art. Um, I googled modern art just to find some more examples. I found a piece of modern art, white. It was a white room. In one corner, there was no rocks. In another corner, there was a pile of rocks. Guess what it was called? Corner with rocks, corner without rocks. <laughs> Mic drop, boom, that's art right there, right? You can call anything art. So I realized, you know, as much as I made fun of Brianna's artwork, she's actually a, a modern artist. She's a, she, I can make some money off of my little daughter, Brianna. Notice this thing. I call this Rainbow Flush. She just created this recently. <laughs> Rainbow Flush. Modern art, right? Modern art. Let the bidding begin. Can I get $100,000? $100,000, 100000 Right? So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. The balls cost more than that. Um, but see... As long as someone calls my expression art, you can't call it not art, right? Because they beat you to it. They play the art card. It's art. I think we do that with the Holy Spirit. As long as someone, anyone, says, this is how the Spirit works in me, or this is a move of the Spirit, well, you've played that Spirit card, and it's really hard for me at that point to say, well, no, it's not, or yes, it is. See, it's the wildness of God. It's the tornado of God. You can't define that. Well, maybe it is, and 
Maybe it isn't. But who am I to say how God works? You know how many times you say that? Who am I to say how God moves? If God wants to move in that way, well, he can move however he wants. So maybe it's art and maybe it's not. Can we come to an understanding? What we need to do is go back to the artist. We need to go back to the artist who says, let me tell you how my spirit works. Let me tell you how he doesn't work. Because it's really simple. Really simple. See, God's spirit will never work against the Bible that he wrote. So let's jump to 1 Corinthians 12, just for a moment. And let's be reminded of what he said, how the Holy Spirit works. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Look, when it comes to the Spirit, I don't want you to be ignorant, Paul's writing. I don't want you to think that the wildness of God touches down with some people and not with others. Touches down with certain types of churches and, well, you know, not, not with others. See, Jesus himself spoke for four chapters, right? John 13, 14, 15, 16, all about, let me tell you how the Spirit is going to work. Let me tell you who the Spirit is. I don't want to be vague about this. Jesus is saying, look, it's not art. Pick it up verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. See, we all have different gifts but it's all from the same God. And it all works together. And that puts you in a church like ours to play the game, to be a unique part of this community that he is turning into this mosaic to paint something. We're not supposed to be the same. But when you back up and people see the picture of who Central is from across the street, they go, that place is amazing. The people are amazing. And then when they get closer, they get an experience of each one of us about what makes this church amazing. And people say, look what that church, look, look what God is doing in that church all across Hamilton. And people talk about God, they don't talk about us. We'll be use our gifts with one another for the sake of God. So what's your part? Well, I mean, all I do is, you know, I just cut bread at communion. That's great. No one wants a whole loaf of bread at communion, right? So that's important. Uh, I just serve coffee. Yeah, and you keep people awake during these really long sermons of this new pastor. What's your role, right? You might think, like, I'm just a little speck. You're right. You're just a little speck. That's how mosaics are made. But when you zone out, it paints this beautiful masterpiece. It's an amazing picture. Because it's the same God who's giving us all those gifts, all those brushstrokes to each and every one. The gift has been given as the Spirit allows. Let's pick up again, verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, uh, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to other, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretations of tongues. Now let's focus in on verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he 
determines. Every one of us who gives our life to following Jesus, that says, Jesus, be the leader and Lord of my life. Every one of us gets gifts from the Spirit. Every one of us has a purpose for God's church, for God's mission as he determines. You don't run after it. You don't chase after it. You pray after it. You remain after it. You remain in the promises of Christ because he knows where you are. And as you remain in relationship with him, he'll enable you as he determines. And there are lots of gifts, right? Lots of gifts. Gifts of help, uh, gifts of understanding, gifts of faith, gifts of communication. Some of you were made wealthier than others because you have the gift to help others in need. Man, I pray for that gift. God, give me success. Give me success. Ah, nuts, I got hospitality. (laughs) You know how you know you have the gifts of hospitality? You keep looking at Pinterest. That's one of your, that's how you know. And then you go buy a smoker and you start doing ribs and brisket and asking the friends over. That's how you know you have the gift of hospitality. Um, hospitality is super important because it helps people feel welcomed and valuable and at home. It took me a while to figure that out. See, all the gifts are important. They just work for different purposes. During the French Revolution, Um, Three Christians were sentenced to death by the guillotine. One had the gift of faith, one had the gift of prophecy, and the other had the gift of helps. The Christian with the gift of faith was to be executed first, so they brought him to the guillotine, laid him down, and had him looking up at the guillotine. You want to put a bag over your head? He goes, no, I have faith that God will protect me. He will save me. I'm not going to die on this day. And they say, yeah, whatever. Pulled the rope, nothing happened. So they go, whoa, this has got to be an act of God. And they set him free. The next Christian came up. He had to get the prophecy. And he got up, and they laid him down the guillotine and says, do you want a bag? He goes, no. God has shown me that I'm going to live this day. Like, yeah, whatever. They pulled the rope. The guillotine did not work. Wow, this is totally the act of God, and they set him free. Third person, the gift of helps, he came up, and they said, as he laid him down, you want to put a bag on your head? He goes, no, I'm just as brave as everybody else. And as he looked up, and they're about to pull over, he goes, wait, wait, wait a second. I see what's wrong with your guillotine right there. <laughs> see? Yeah, yeah. We all have different gifts. And they all work differently, just as God has given each one of us. And there are lots of different gifts. Uh, This list that we just read, they're just a partial of, there's lots of gifts. We have someone in our church, Catherine Barnett. She'll sit there during a sermon and she sketches sermon notes. And as she listens to the sermon, she's sketching pictures of, of what's going on. I've been watching her thinking, you're not paying attention. But she's actually <laughs> drawing pictures of what she sees as the, as the sermon and as the scripture is being expounded. We have different gifts. But the same artist is painting. We're all different colors. We're all different mediums. But the same artist is putting this mosaic together. And the artist gets to determine what the art looks like and what the art does. Because that's how God shows himself to the world, through us, to our family and to each other and to our neighbors and to our schoolmates. Then it gets heavy, right? Okay, I'll do 13. Okay, let's do chapter 13. Let's do chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Strap on your seatbelts. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's talk about tongues. Let's talk about the gift of tongues. 
I have friends who speak in tongues. We have staff that speak in tongues. My wife has the gift of tongues. I've gone forward four or five different times by some of the most well-known charismatic pastors and guest preachers that have come into New Zealand to pray for me, to put their hand on me, to push me on my forehead. I don't know why they do that, but they do that. <laughs> and, and they've given me like words. That, Look, try this phrase. Just say this after me. Bada Yamaha Shirabada Mitsubishi. Bada Yamaha Shirabada Mitsubishi. <laughs> And, and every time I've walked away and nothing, nothing has happened. Then I got this sense what God was talking to me. And I heard his voice. Hey, stupid. It's a, it's a term of endearment. I've given you different gifts. All right, I'm asking you to use your voice in a different way. So don't get in line again. Just go with it. Use what I've given you. So I still pray. Look, God, if you want to give me the gift of tongues, I'm open. But if not, let me use what you've given me fully for your purposes and for the sake of others. But real quickly, before we look at this more, I think that's the point. I was going forward, going to the back room. They were always taking the back room. I was going to the back room because I wanted this gift of tongues for myself. I had friends who had it. I didn't. I felt not as spiritual. So I wanted to do it for myself. And this reminds me, if you want to get gifts for just yourself, you're just a resounding gong. You're just a clanging cymbal. You know how annoying it would be to go to a wedding and the band doesn't show up and as the bride walks up, all they have is a cymbal? Crash, 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 crash. Seriously? Really? That's just what it's like. Don't use your gifts so you alone are seen. And I think that's what happens with the gift of tongues. See, the gift of tongues is a background instrument. It builds you up so you can build up the church. It's not a lead chair instrument. See, the work of the Spirit is to produce spiritual maturity, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, those kind of things. Why? To love others so they can see God. The whole purpose of the Spirit is to love, to empower us to love others and to serve others so they can see God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You do it outside of love, and you're just a gong guy, right? And that's not what he wants. Continues. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. See, everything we do and everything we're about to do to discern who God wants us to be as a church, what he wants us to do as our mission as a church, living into our mission, is structuring a way of being together. It's all about love all about loving one another. It's all about how much God loves you and how we love him and others in return and how we together love strangers and neighbors and and family. And we give that love and we give that grace away. We give it away to others. So if you're an unloving person to your spouse, if you're an unloving person to your kids, if your unloving person to your extended family or your employer or your employees, that's where you start. That's where you start. This is where you first live out your life following Jesus. 
not on a Sunday at church and, and look nice by volunteering at the cafe, not, not at some Christian special event where you walk around highly spiritual. You start at home. You walk in the Spirit and you live out your gifts with those that are closest to you. That's where it starts. Then, then you have a story. Then you have a testimony and, and something worth sharing. And then it goes on, chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Tongues are spoken to God. Underline that in your Bible. Spoken to God. See, the Acts 2 story wasn't that they were speaking in lots of different languages. When Pentecost happened, the flames of fire came down. wasn't that they were speaking in other languages to other people, so they understood. They were praising God in other languages. And the crowd outside stopped and went, huh? I speak Spanish. What are they doing? And they heard them all praising God in their own native languages. They were talking to God, not to people. Paul says that the gift of tongues uh, is that you speak to God, not to people. Romans 8, 26 says that there are times when you just don't have words to pray. You're under such stress, under such duress, you don't know what to pray. And there are times when the Spirit will intervene and use a language that you don't even know what you're saying, but you got a sense that you're communicating to God. See, the gift of tongues, it's a personal prayer language. Um, it's the only kind you find in the Bible. It's always a personal prayer language between you and God. We've made it something else. We in the church have kind of made it like a test. It's not a test. My wife Rachel has this gift. Rachel is a powerful woman when she prays. Powerful woman. But I've never heard her prayer language. She's told me about it, but why would she pray to me? She does it a lot while she's driving and her eyes are open, which is also in the Bible. Eyes are always open in the Bible, especially when they're driving. Um, <laughs> but I've never heard it. But when I speak somewhere where Rach can't come and I know she's praying for me, man, my gift of prophecy is stronger in that moment when she's praying for me than when I'm on my own. Because we're the same art piece. I have friends who have to get the tongues, never heard it. It's something they do with God, not with me. But, but Brian, what, what about, I know, but I come from a church that I know we'll get to that because there's differences here. We'll get to that. Let's pick up verse six. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some kind of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? And this is where Paul starts breaking it down. He says, if I come to you as the body of Christ, shouldn't I speak in a language that you all are familiar with? Like American. What good is it to babble in a way that you can't understand? Like American. <laughs> See, even instruments, if they're not playing in tune with each other, it just sounds awful. Awful. Remember that first musical recital you went to for your kids, if you have kids, and you had to lie to them afterwards? Oh, that was amazing. 
Daddy, did you like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? That's what it was. I couldn't make out what that was. See, the gift of tongues has amazing results if you have that gift. And if you, but if you use it publicly, there's no rhyme, there's no tune, there's no reason. Verse nine picks us up. So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Look, if you want to pray for any gifts in your life, man, pray for the ones that are going to build everybody else up. Pray for the ones that are going to put people's eyes and ears in tune with who God is. Paul's like, look, I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. But ask for a gift that will build the church up like hospitality or administration or generosity or, or something. See, the gift of, of tongues doesn't build the church up. It builds you up so you can build the church up. And some of us have it and some of us don't. It's kind of that simple because it's personal. But it doesn't happen in a gathered body. Verse 18 picks us up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I would rather say, hi, how are you doing, than 10,000 words in tongues. And he's speaking to churches that are size of a life group. These are home groups that he's talking to. Verse 26, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. See, everything is done for the betterment of the church. Now, when I'm a pastor, this is how I handle these kind of things in church gatherings. We don't get to call it art. We don't get to call it art. And so I won't just let anything happen. So when we're in worship, and like today, and some people pray out loud, I'm listening. I'm listening. And if it's a prayer for the betterment of the church, calling people back to God and to God's ways, I'm like, go. I'm praying for them as they're praying out loud. Go, go, go. But if it turns into a competition, I'm going to stand up here and say, okay, let's sing again. And just kind of keep on moving on. See, we don't just let anything happen. I'm going to go to the artist. And, and one at a time, two or three at the most, someone must interpret it. Why? Because it's for the church. It's for us. And it's done in a church or a small group setting. It's got to be good for everybody, for the whole body. And it's done orderly. Otherwise, we don't do it. Picking up verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. See, the Holy Spirit is not just a go and do whatever you think the Holy Spirit is kind of leading you. I just felt like, no, that's not what it is. It's not how he works. 37, 38. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they, will, they themselves will be ignored. What he's saying is that if anyone wants to say, this is the way the Spirit works in my life, in my old church, in my whatever, 
Let them acknowledge that this, the stuff we've been reading, these passages, this is the Lord's command. And if you want to use your gifts outside of the blueprint that we have just been looking at in Scripture, you go ahead, but you'll just be ignored. You won't be ostracized. You won't be shamed. You won't be shut down. But you're also not going to be spotlighted. You're not going to be highlighted, and, and, and you're just going to be ignored. See, we're about to jump off a cliff into the deep end of the Holy Spirit, a deep end to watching God's Spirit work in and through us in the lives of each other and in the lives of our neighborhood and our workmates and our city. We have just spent three weeks, three weeks, looking at the Bible, drawing boundaries around this, defining this, and you just can't call everything art. We can't. We're going to watch God work. He is going to move, and he is going to lead you to use your gifts in lives of people that you would never have dared do it before. And you're going to see signs, and you're going to see wonders. And you're going to see people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and families turned around and neighborhoods uh, become healthy. This is what God does. We simply ask God, how can I be a part of it? How can I be a part of it? How can I use what you have given me to join what you are doing here at Central and in Hamilton through all of us together? Give me the gift that you want me to have for these people. That's the prayer. Because see, we followers of Jesus, we're actually very charismatic. We're very charismatic. We will use all the gifts that God gives us. But we do it within God's instructions. And we use them for each other. And we use them for others. And we use them to build up our church. And we don't worry about what others are doing. We just do what God has asked us to do the way he's asked us to do it, and be who he's asked us to be. Because we are all filled with his spirit. We are the big mosaic that we call central. And we're going to jump off the deep end into the lives of others that need Jesus, who long for Jesus, who are calling out for Jesus. And we do that by remaining in him and then simply using what he gives us. Let's pray. Father God, make us that kind of people. Holy Spirit, please touch each one of us. Help us to be aware of, of your working in our life. Help us to own the gift and gifts you have given us. And then empower us and enable us to use them for the sake of the people we're sitting next to, for the sake of the people we live next door to, for the sake of the people we we sit in the same building with at work or school and our classrooms and our mates and our teams and our, and our, our hobbies. Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you were obedient to the cross, that you rose again and you sent us a helper. And all you ask us to do is to remain in you, to love you, to sit with you, to build our relationship with you because in that relationship, you enable us to make this massive, world-changing difference for your kingdom, not for ours, for your purposes, not for ours. And you make us a church that is this magnificent mosaic that people say, what an amazing place is that church in Hamilton? Because when they zone in, they see people who love you, 
And when they zoom in, they see you. They see you, God, in our midst, walking around us and through us and with us. And people talk about God. And people talk about Jesus. They don't talk about us because we're all the same art piece. In Jesus' name, amen.